Good afternoon. Uh, in a saner, cleaner, better world, we probably wouldn't have the conversation we're about to have, first of all, because things like this wouldn't happen. And second of all, because the politics uh, of a thing like this would wait for a while, would wait until uh, all the identifications had been made and maybe the memorial services had been had. And then maybe we'd begin in the public sphere talking about something like the Orlando tragedy. That's just not the way that it's worked out this time. But before we even get into that, I do want to just say, you know, I mean, it's just important for us not to become the kind of society that forgets how just incredibly sad this stuff is. Um, I hope really all of you have at least taken that moment, uh, a deep breath, a, a moment of meditation, uh, whatever it is that you do to ask the universe for a little bit more help. Uh, I have to say yesterday in particular, when uh, President Obama came on TV, you know, we talk about him as being a guy who's really good at repressing his emotions. The truth is he's only kind of so-so at it. Uh, in, in fact, people who repress their emotions in the way that he does are almost more poignant when you when you can read what's on their faces and with him obviously you could see uh, a deep sorrow and b vast uh, amounts of frustration uh, it was i believe the 16th time he's gone before the nation as president uh, to talk about shootings and a long time ago he let us know that um he, he didn't want that job uh, and that there was something very wrong with the degree to which he has that job. Uh, and somehow or other, I, I just the way that he was struggling with it made me very sad and made me get very choked up. But I'm sure all of you had that moment uh, over the weekend. And if you didn't, uh, take it. It's uh, part of being a human being. Uh, as we go along today, too, I want to make sure the phone lines are available to you. If you have things you need to say, get off your chest. Our number is 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. Uh, and so we had already uh, booked as a guest uh, one of our favorite political analysts, uh, Domenico Montanaro. Uh, he's lead editor for politics and digital audience for NPR. And, and then we thought, well, maybe we'll have to cancel that because we won't be talking about politics. And I, I had missed calculated or misgaged how quickly this would become political. Uh, usually there's a few days uh, of mourning. Uh, and in fact, when it, we just sort of went into what uh, dog trainer Cesar Milan calls the red zone uh, right away. And of course, there was one person who was driving that forward, and that was candidate Donald Trump. So we're going to talk about all this. Um, Domenico Montanaro, first of all, welcome back to our show. Thank you for having me. I wish it were on a happier day. Um, so, uh, you know, that we've I, I guess we sort of have to begin uh, by talking uh, about President Obama. He is the one who at least attempts to set a tone about all this. And, and, and as I said, you know, he's had a lot of practice, much more practice than he ever wanted. And so yesterday he, he you know, in a way he he tried to bury some of the politics of this. I mean, the closest thing he came to saying anything was, we have to decide whether this is the kind of country we, we want to be. But it, it just didn't stay there. It's so quickly, maybe because of social media, uh, I, I don't know, it's so quickly became a different kind of story. Yeah. And this president has in the past said that gun control is something that he wants to see uh, more of. I think that he thought there would be some real movement after 20 children were killed uh, at Sandy Hook Elementary in Newtown, Connecticut, and nothing happened on that. So if nothing was going to happen off of that, even stricter background controls or uh, what some Democrats wanted, which was a uh, you know stricter uh, or a ban on either assault rifles or or the number of bullets in a magazine, if that if none of that was able to be accomplished, it's difficult to see how anything would get accomplished even after this, which is the deadliest mass killing in American history. So you know that this president certainly feels that frustration and has gone to politics 
right away because he tried to capitalize on the moment uh, previously to try to get something done and that didn't happen. So one of the things that happens in a political campaign when there are crises that happen in the middle of the campaign is that we, we at least assume that we're getting a glimpse of the leadership styles of each candidate. Uh, that happened certainly in 2008, much closer to the election uh, when, when the Wall Street collapse began uh, and President, uh, excuse me, then Senator Obama and Senator McCain had to sort of you know let us know uh, how they felt about that, whether they wanted to go forward with a planned debate, whether it was too big a crisis for that. You got kind of a little sense to test the metal uh, of each person. And we got a little of that over the last 24 hours. Um, I don't know how how firm and strong and straight a line we can draw from the reactions of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton to how they would govern. But it, it, it's a pretty good guess that this is an indication that the kinds of statements that they put out uh, seem to indicate who they are and how they lead. Well, Donald Trump seems very you know, naturally inclined to going to identity politics and stereotypes. Um, it's pretty remarkable that immediately after he was talking about uh, the Orlando killer's father and his uh, being from Afghanistan and his views that he said were pro-Taliban, uh, he went I- immediately, by the way, doubling down, it seems, on perhaps his uh, birtherism calls uh, in 20, you know, in 2011 or so about President Obama, where he was on uh, morning shows today and said either President Obama doesn't get it or he has something else in mind. Uh, and there's something going on, he said. He was pushed on the Today Show on NBC and he said that he thinks Obama, quote, just doesn't get it. But many people think, quote, he doesn't want to get it. it that's a curious statement because you're essentially trying to say that the president of the United States is sympathizing with terrorists. And that's obviously that kind of uh, lack of restraint is something that makes Republican leaders in Washington uh, very um, uneasy. And, you know, when it looked like Donald Trump was going to go back to the teleprompter and try to kind of squeeze into some kind of lane, it's not that hard for a Republican to talk about this kind of issue because it's a it's a concern that most Republicans have had terrorism as top of their list for quite some time. And it's not that hard to take the way law enforcement or uh, right leaning, uh, you know, uh, or law enforcement, pro-law enforcement leaning Republicans, the way they talk about it. And that's just not the way Donald Trump does. Well, Domenico Montanaro, I don't want you uh, putting words in Donald Trump's mouth. Uh, let's hear the clip. I'm sure he didn't say anything like that. We're led by a man that either is, is, is not tough, not smart, or he's got something else in mind. And there's something else in mind. You know, people can't believe it. People cannot be, uh, they cannot believe that President Obama is acting the way he acts and can't even mention the words radical Islamic terrorism. There's something going on. It's inconceivable. There's something going on. Okay, so I guess maybe you weren't putting words in his mouth. He really said that. So, and and so this is one of these uh, comments which I mean I've I've been looking at social media as I'm sure you have, and there are people who are attempting to defend him, saying, well, you can't really say that he he's implicating uh, President Obama into the world of radical Islam or these acts of terrorism, and and that's true. You can't. 
I mean, those words aren't there. But it's very difficult to find another interpretation for things like he's got something else in mind and there's something else in mind. You know, people can't believe it. There's something going on. It's inconceivable. This is very much, as you say, uh, a little bit of the style of Donald Trump, which is that there's this hidden narrative that he knows about. President Obama isn't really who he says he is. He wasn't born where he says he was that, you know, that Muslims were demonstrating uh, demonstrating with joy after 9-11 over in Jersey City. No one wants you to know that. Um, and, and so this is kind of the latest thing. And it's it's an odd thing because it's a it's a dog whistle, but it's a dog whistle that almost has words to the tune. More like a bullhorn. Um, I mean, I, th- I think that this is typical for Donald Trump, where he likes to say things that he can deny that he meant uh, and let people think what they want to think about it. Um, it's almost like uh, somebody who says, come on, you know these people. You know what's really going on. But you're not saying what's going on, so you just let people draw their own conclusions. So that's something that he's run on, frankly, in this in this campaign. It's something that helped him get through the primary, and it appears that it's something he's going to try to continue to do. We should note that with Hillary Clinton and what Donald Trump talking about, uh, that President Obama won't say the words radical Islamic terrorism, there has been this debate between uh, that Democrats have picked up on to not use the phrase Islamic terrorism. They, Hillary Clinton, you heard her today come close, say radical Islamist terrorism and or radical jihadist, uh, jihadi terrorism. She's said that before. President Obama has said that before. There is this fine distinction between Islamic and Islamist that uh, people who study this more closely can talk about. But that's the distinction that Democrats try to draw. Hillary Clinton getting a little bit closer to the phrase to sort of take it away from Donald Trump. But she said that she was more interested, less or she was less interested in words and dem- uh, demagoguery uh, than she is about what should be done. And the policy is really an important thing. You know, what do you do about lone wolves who uh, people on both sides of the aisle will say are the most difficult thing. Homegrown extremists, homegrown terrorists uh, are the most difficult thing to stop. I mean, this man appeared to have been uh, influenced or inspired by the Islamic State, as FBI Director James Comey talked about a little earlier today, and that he had this sort of unsophisticated view of a lot of these other uh, terrorist groups that he uh, was kind of professing and bragging to be a part of or aligned with. And the other issue underlying all of this is mental illness. Uh, you know, his wife had said that he is mentally ill or mentally unstable. So regardless of religion, regardless of the fact that this appeared to be a hate crime against uh, people who are gay and lesbian, you know, mental illness is the underlying issue with a lot of this. So you have Republicans on one side going to talking about uh, you know, uh, radicalization and ideology. And you have Democrats on the other side wanting to talk about guns and hate. And the thing that kind of bridges both is mental illness. And it's probably the most difficult to address. Yeah, there, there are so many different issues that play into this. And the LGBT uh, issue obviously plays into it, uh, as you say, uh, and also the mental illness issue. And I would add to that domestic violence. It's um, We'll be talking about this a little bit later in the show, but it's very difficult to deprive somebody of their right to own a gun. Uh, One of the ways that exists to do it, though, is if they are found guilty, even at the misdemeanor level of domestic violence, a whole bunch of things kick in at that point. It's even harder to take a gun away from somebody who already has it. It's another story. But, yeah, there's an awful lot of sub-issues to this. uh, And and so picking one of them to the exclusion of the others is a political statement in and of itself. Um, and, And it does seem as though a game 
meme is going on about, oh, I want you to say radical Islam. Well, no, not radical Islam. I want you to say radical Islamist terrorism. Or, and and I, I don't blame anybody uh, who who doesn't want to play that game. Uh, Domenico, over the last couple of weeks, Donald Trump has kind of run afoul of his own party mates uh, over some similar kinds of comments he's made about a Mexican judge. Uh, and, and this time, though, I noticed that the Paul Ryans and the Mitch McConnells, Mitch McConnell came forward uh, over the last over last week to say he doesn't think Donald Trump understands the issues very well, which is an unusual thing for a Senate uh, majority leader to say about the, the candidate. He picks the right VP. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, but I, we're not hearing, at least right now, that kind of chorus. If people think um, that Trump is over the line, they're not saying it. Yeah. I mean, let's wait until they get microphones in front of them and uh, people wind up asking them questions about it. Uh, I think everyone on Capitol Hill, Republicans on Capitol Hill, are dreading having to answer that question because they don't want to be talking about this. They want to be talking about what to do to solve the problem in their view. You know, I mean, they, they and radicalization is something that Democrats agree uh, that is an issue. I mean, President Obama in his presidency, I counted up back in December, at least half a dozen times that he called on the Muslim community, uh, Muslim leaders to do more to root out uh, possible radicalization in their community. So while you're having a discussion uh, and a debate about, uh, you know, uh, language, uh, there, there's a real policy need for what to do. And we're going to hear from Hillary Clinton today. We're also going to hear Donald Trump after her discuss uh, you know, potentially what their policies should be. Donald Trump has doubled down on his uh, temporary ban of Muslims coming into the United States. That uh, doesn't really address the issue of uh, people in the United States. And what do you do? Uh, you know, he has talked about monitoring Muslim communities. But again, you know, Democrats have a real problem with saying, with drawing such a broad brush to say that this is solely uh, a Muslim problem. You know, uh, Domenico Montanaro, one of the stories that you probably would have been talking about today uh, had this not happened over the weekend was the the arrangements, if that's the right word, between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Obviously, something is coming to an end. Uh, and I, I don't know what happens now. In other words, do they just postpone all those conversations? They, they could, on the one hand, use this as kind of cover uh, to, to do whatever they have to do, work out whatever they have to work out. But one sense is that Bernie Sanders probably wants a moment where he can, if he's getting out of the race at all, say that he's getting out of the race and why he's getting out of the race and what he expects in the future. And this wouldn't seem to be that moment. Yeah. More importantly, um, you, this threw off everything that both candidates were trying to do this week. Uh, Hillary Clinton was going to have a kickoff general election speech uh, focused economically uh, on Donald Trump because she already gave her national security speech. And that's been uh, blown up. Uh, she's going to talk about national security again today and probably talk about Donald Trump. Trump was, remember, going to talk about all things Hillary Clinton and Clinton Foundation or Clinton uh, scandals of the past. Uh, and I think the Republican Party was bracing for what the fallout from that was going to be. Uh, so that's just been all pushed aside. Hillary Clinton, remember, was supposed to start her um, 
campaign kickoff rallies with Barack Obama, President Obama, who would, by the way, be the first president to actively campaign, you know, strongly for a successor in at least 100 years. It hasn't happened before uh, in recent history. So that's now been delayed. They were going to they were going to campaign together on Wednesday in Wisconsin. And like you mentioned, this Bernie Sanders meeting that Hillary Clinton is supposed to have Tuesday after or before the uh, the Washington primary here in Washington, D.C., uh, it's really unclear where any of this goes from here now. Democrats certainly want to unite sooner rather than later. Uh, and Bernie Sanders, interestingly, yesterday after being on Meet the Press and appearing to have the air kind of completely come out of his campaign when he wouldn't answer if he's an active candidate anymore, then backtracked a little bit on that uh, Sunday night and saying that he uh, was still going to go all the way to the convention. So there's still some opening here for uh, disunity that uh, certainly Hillary Clinton and Democratic leaders would like to shore up. Well, Domenico Montanaro, thank you so much for your time today. I know this is a busy day and a busy week uh, in a busy year for you. So thank you for being with us. As always, a pleasure. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We do welcome your phone calls and your tweets, 860-275-7266. What do you want us to talk about? 860-275-7266. What do you want to talk about? You can also tweet at us at WNPR Colin. All right, we're back, um, and I do want to reiterate that uh, if you have things that you need to talk about, want to talk about, um, things you need to ask about, give us a call, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. So uh, one of the things we alluded to in our conversation with Domenico Montanaro uh, is the way in which, obviously, uh, the shooting in Orlando at the Pulse uh, has in it, uh, packed into it, uh, a whole bunch of subsidiary issues ranging from, yes, whatever the Muslim part of this conversation is, to uh, the LGBT part of this issue, to um, the domestic violence part of this issue. Uh, there are lots of things to talk about. The offender here uh, was um, was clearly not only homophobic, uh, but also violent in his own conduct towards his spouse uh, and um, and also apparently drawn to some of the rhetoric uh, of ISIS. ISIS inspired probably rather than ISIS directed, as far as anybody can tell. But it, it is interesting as it all rolled out uh, to see how it got talked about. Uh, and in fact, uh, people talk about what they want to talk about and what they think they can make hay about. To that end, we're going to talk to Nahal Tusi, who, who covers foreign affairs for Politico, uh, and, and who focused a little bit on that and the degree to which uh, the attack on uh, on a gay and lesbian club uh, was discussed or not discussed as people started to talk about this. So first of all, uh, welcome to our conversation. Thanks for having me. Uh, maybe the first thing to say is that although uh, there there does seem to be uh, some evidence that the um, the shooter was at least nominally or or by his own declaration uh, um, loyal to or inspired by ISIS. Um, as far as I can tell, gay and lesbian issues aren't that high on the menu of concerns of ISIS. Uh, I mean, they, they hate pretty much everybody, uh, and that gay and lesbian uh, community would be in there somewhere. But it's not as though that's the thing you hear about coming out of them all the time. That's right. It's not their top priority. Their top priority is uh, getting land and establishing this caliphate. Right now, it's basically struggling to uh, keep the land they have under the assault that they're facing from the U.S. and Iraqi-led coalition. 
but in terms of uh, gay people and others, one of the things that ISIS does say is that the fact that the West tolerates homosexuality is a reason that true Muslims uh, shouldn't live there, shouldn't really uh, abide by its values. And that that's why they should, it's one of the reasons that they say Muslims should come join their Islamic state, because they, they don't accept homosexuality. So uh, I want to just read this very, uh, I thought, stirring paragraph from a columnist for, of all things, Billboard.com. If you're LGBT, waking up to learn that the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history had happened the night before in a gay nightclub is akin to being a parent and reading about Sandy Hook or being African-American and finding out that yet another black church has been burned down. The horror and sadness that kind of news unleashes in you lies outside the realm of language. It is terror. Uh, it's as if the bloodshed that transpired in the moments after closing time at Pulse uh, a popular Orlando club brought, that brought together men, women, whites, blacks, and Latinos. As you can plainly see from the photos on its Facebook fa- page, that robbed the lives of 50 people and injured over 50 more Sunday night took place in your soul. So, uh, I, you know, as people have talked about this, um, and particularly as politicians have talked about this, they either have or haven't mentioned this. And, and the absence of mention is is kind of noticeable. I mean, it's almost as noticeable as not mentioning that the Charleston shootings happened at a black church. But a number of politicians, uh, Nahal, have actually done that, have talked about this as though it happened kind of anywhere. Yeah, that was very, very striking. I was tracking the statements yesterday morning and throughout the day, and I noticed that Republicans in particular are uh, wouldn't mention the fact that it was at a gay nightclub. They might mention that it was at a nightclub, but they wouldn't mention the LGBT angle at all. They wouldn't have anything that had specific reference to that particular community. That's not to say all Republicans. There were a couple of exceptions. Uh, but I noticed the Democrats, on the other hand, uh, starting with uh, Nancy Pelosi on down, they made a point of pointing out that it was an LGBT nightclub and uh, that it happened during Pride Month, some of them noted. So it was very striking. But it also, like I said, like this is one of those issues that's so sensitive in the political sphere. And Republicans in particular have struggled with the gay rights issue, especially now as so many conservatives feel like their religious values are under attack because of the same-sex marriage ruling from the Supreme Court. Right. And, and not to I mean, it's it's horrible that we are even talking about politics at a time like this, but politics definitely enter into this and to put it all in its context. So almost a year ago, uh, the White House was bathed in rainbow light. And so were many people's Facebook profiles as the Supreme Court made its decision affirming the right to gay marriage. Uh, other states have fallen into line since then. But there's also been a lot of, as you say, pushback against that. We're heading into an election season. It's not just a presidential election. There are congressional uh, elections, there are senatorial elections. And then there are elect- elections within the general assemblies or legislatures of each state. And and I assume that's uh, that's all part and parcel of the phenomenon that you're observing, Nahal Tusi, that, that people are framing this in a way that's either most advan- advantageous to them or at least the least disadva- disadvantageous to them. That, that's so true. I mean, the Democrats, for instance, are more likely to mention the need for gun control in their statements. Uh, the Republicans... Uh, when, when asked about this LGBT angle, they'll say, look, this just shows why we need to defeat Islamist radicals, because they hate all of us. They hate all of our lifestyles. And then they, they say that uh, President Obama and other Democrats are failing to label the threat by its name, radical Islamism, that sort of thing. It, this It's such an interesting uh, collision of different issues in this particular tragedy. We're talking gay rights, hate crimes. Uh, terrorism, Islam, gun control, 
all these things that are just uh, so sensitive in the political discourse. And but it also gives each side something to hang on to to frame their argument. Um, it did seem as though one of the people who tried to take a leadership role, particularly in the LGBT part of this, was President Obama. It was there early in his statement yesterday, as he talked about people uh, gathering in, in, a, in a particular place to, to sing and dance uh, and live their lives. Uh, he, anyway, seems to want people to understand that part of this issue. Yes, he called it both an act of terror and an act of hate. And it's worth noting that this happened during Gay Pride Month, where there are a lot of celebrations in the LGBT community. And so he, this, he and other Democrats made sure to point out that the LGBT community was in particular affected by this. Um, another part of this that, that we haven't mentioned, but I got a tweet from uh, Evelyn Mantia, a, a politician here in Connecticut who is uh, both uh, lesbian and Latino, uh, said, for your show today, please remember that the massacre happened on Latin night. The Latino and LGBTQ communities suffered together. And that is another piece of this puzzle. And obviously in Florida, where there's a pretty large Latino population as well, uh, I don't know uh, that it entered into the intentions of the shooter. Uh, we, we will probably never know that. But it is, it is sort of another group of people that we haven't talked about very much. Yes, no, that's true. And especially during this election year when Latinos feel particularly uh, in the spotlight because of Donald Trump's comments about Mexicans and other and others and immigration being constantly such a hot topic. So yes, that, that is another factor. But it wasn't one that was particularly uh, well publicized. Uh, one thing I'd also like to point out, though, in, in all of this is I was also struck by how many Muslim organizations uh, came out and condemned the attack. Uh, and, and some of the Muslim activists made sure to point out that they uh, very much sympathize with the discrimination faced by the LGBT community. These are two communities that have had a growing dialogue in recent years around the issue of civil rights. Now, Muslims generally don't accept homosexuality as, as an acceptable practice, but the fact that they are talking to one another about how to have a world full of free of discrimination uh, and civil rights and civil liberties is a really interesting angle. It is, yeah. Obviously, that is something that they share in common. And we'll be talking to Areza Mansour from our Muslim community here uh, in the in the third segment of this show today. But it is, I said this on the morning show today, it's now uh, in a way that strikes me as kind of unfair, de rigueur for Muslim leaders to have to condemn anything that happens that involves anybody who has any nominal connection to, to, to Islam. I mean, it's, uh, I said this morning, and in, I don't think Christians in Norway had to disavow Anders Breivik with quite the same uh, level of vehemence uh, any more than, than white Christian leaders in America had to avow the Charleston shooter. Uh, you know, I mean, it just for some reason or other, well, I think we understand why, but it, it does seem like a, a weird burden that Muslim leaders have to bear that they, you know, within the first hour have to make sure that they condemn something. Yeah, it's, it's been very, it's just so many different groups have been affected by this. And obviously the gay and lesbian community has to ask itself, and it is asking itself about its future in terms of security. This is a group that's used to facing a lot of discrimination and violence, but this notion that it could be a prime target for lone wolf or, or coordinated attacks from Islamist terrorists, it, it's a really, it's a scary one for them. And they're and, and they also, when I talked to people yesterday, they, they say, look, we don't want to live in fear. We, we've spent so much time trying to come out and express ourselves, and we don't want anything that will force us to hide. And so there's a question of how they're going to balance that in the future. Um, I want to grab a call here from uh, Mark in New Britain. Uh, he's bringing up a story that I, I'm, I'm not sure ever really got resolved, but um, uh, perhaps uh, Nahal will know about this. Mark, you're on the air. Uh, yes, Colin. In fact, I, I think 
I heard you mention this during um, the morning uh, show yeah. With, yeah. with Lucy this morning. Mm. Yeah, the, this guy who got picked up by the police in uh, Greater L.A. with a with a car full of guns and explosives, apparently on his way to a Pride event, right? Mm. Um, no ethnicity ever mentioned, no religion ever mentioned. Of course not, because he was probably a mainstream white guy. Um, and the more I hear about the Orlando shooter and his, you know, 11th hour association with ISIS, the more I think he's got a lot more in common with that guy in L.A. than he has with Daesh at all. Well, because we don't know that. First of all, um, and Nahal, you may know more about this. I was trying to follow that issue yesterday, and at some point I started to read some reports indicating that maybe the L.A. story wasn't quite as it had been initially reported, and now I've completely lost track of what they ever decided about it. Do you know anything more about it? The, late, the latest that I know is that they're still trying to figure out exactly what his intentions were, mm-hmm. and, and that there was apparently some miscommunication about him supposedly saying he wanted to hurt people at the event, but people are not sure if that's actually his plans right now or not. I, I do I do think that in, in the scheme of when everybody was covering the, uh, the Orlando shooting, uh, this story did get lost a bit. But I'm certain that in the coming days we're going to hear more about it as, as we try to see what exactly this man uh, was trying to do. Uh, but, you know, that, to me, that being said, like, it's really important to understand a lot of these mass shooters, whether they're Islamists or, or white or whatever their background, a lot of them have... Disturbed, they're just disturbed individuals on a lot of levels. They might have criminal records. Uh, they might have been violent toward their spouses. It's, there's just there's just a lot of mental issues and stuff that also go into this, uh, no matter what their background. That, that is a commonality we see in a lot of these cases. Well, Nahal Tusi, thank you so much for joining us today. Nahal Tusi uh, covers foreign affairs for Politico. Uh, she's written about this particular issue uh, right now. Uh, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm going to just grab one or two calls here because I do think uh, people need to talk and they want to talk. Uh, and so let's go to uh, Hannah in West Simsbury. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, how are you? Good. Um, well, listen, you know, it, it just upsets me so much when I hear this sort of Democrat-Republican uh, divide on on this issue as if, as if both things weren't occurring, as if reality weren't good enough. Um, to me, it's obvious that it was, it, it could be defined as a jihad, as a, as a jihadist attack. And it's, the, the victims were gay. Um, uh, why deny that it was uh, connected to radical Islam? Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, so it was obviously connected to radical Islam, which has been creating havoc throughout the world. I'm, I'm not sure that's a, a, an incorrect statement, that it has been creating havoc and, and, and death throughout the world. At the same time as we need gun control desperately and that we have a problem with mass shootings, nothing contradicts anything else. It's not an either or. It's not a. It's not a uh, Democrat or Republican. Um, I voted Democrat all my life until this last election. I did not. I, I've had it with. Um, I had had it with. With um, President Obama never mentioning radical Islam, um, 
because it's simply too much of a reality in the world. Perhaps the fact that I'm Jewish, that I see what's happening in the Middle East. Um, but, you know, I just, I just find this, you know, oh, those stupid Republicans, you know, only see radical Islam and the, and the Democrats only see gun control. I mean, the reality is, is this is a country that needs gun control. And the reality is, is that the world is besieged with the problem of radical Islam. Um, I think, take. yeah, I, I think there. I think you're right that problems are not exclusive of one another. And you know, I, but I think also it makes sense to wait and learn a little bit more about this situation. Is this guy uh, analogous to, say, the coordinated attacks in Paris or Belgium, uh, or is this guy more analogous to, say, John Hinckley or Mark David Chapman? Um, you know, is this a guy who was essentially crazy, uh, who who was going to be crazy no matter what faith he was born into, what ethnicity he was born into, uh, and right. And then and then picked up uh, on the rhetoric that's out there right now, plugged into it, used it as kind of open source software for what he was going to do anyway. Or is he really part of some kind of ideological movement? Now, there, as you say, there is some evidence that he's long been a part of an ideological movement that's been established in about 20,000 media outlets by now. Well, my goodness, of course, he's long been he's long. His father had a radio show. Um, you know, about Afghanistan, and he supports the Taliban. Uh, this guy has been espousing Islamic hardline beliefs for a long time. His co-workers say that. Um, you know, but he's also, a, you know, so yeah, perhaps he's very likely a lone wolf who, who just followed ISIS and knows that ISIS tell, told, tells all lone wolves to call at the last minute, 911. That's what they direct them to do. But what's the point? The point is, is that, is that radical Islam again is a huge threat to the world, and in America we also have um, the threat of mass shooting because of our obscene lack of decent gun control laws. Uh, you're certainly I mean, right that the two but, causes are not incompatible uh, and, and that we should be able to talk about each one of them. I, I do think that there's a sort of a semantic conversation that can be had or maybe needs to be had about whether you can be part of a movement if you never actually have contact with it, uh, if you don't ever go to meetings or email back and forth with anybody. or And it may turn out that he did more of these things than we know about right now. But um, can you really be part of a movement? Uh, if, in fact, the whole thing is going on inside your own head. Um, and, and people might ultimately decide to respond to that question in one of two possible ways. Uh, maybe you think you, you can do that. Uh, maybe some people think, well, no, that's not really a movement. That's your own insanity, just getting plugged into an outlet that's right there. Uh, here's Joe from Hartford. Uh, I want to say our number, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. You're on the air, Joe. Hey, Colin, thanks for uh, allowing the public to sort of, you know, vent a little bit about this. Um, I think it's important. I think there's many components to this, you know, hate crime, terrorism, mental illness, politics, minorities. Uh, I'd have to disagree with your last caller, though. I don't think that this is necessarily terrorism, um, because I think that just plays into the fears. It's not avoiding reality. Almost all U.S. terrorist attacks or so-called terrorist attacks, have been committed by Americans, short of 9-11. And Trumpisms are just, you know, they're they're a mile wide and an inch deep, much of which uh, stems from convincing the conservative electorate that a a tyrannical government is taking away our guns. Um, You know, but I guess my point is I'm a concealed carry gun owner, and I'm angry now. I'm angry that the Republican Party 
continues to carry the water for the NRA, who have exploited and squandered yet another opportunity to take a leadership role. Instead, they resort to fear and anger at the expense of our nation's safety. And I'm angry about this. Well, thanks for sharing your anger, Joe. I do want to say, I, I do think this is terrorism. President Obama thinks it's terrorism. Uh, Hillary Clinton thinks it's terrorism, too. I mean, what kind of terrorism it is, what its wellsprings are, I don't think that's really been uh, dissected yet. But if you target a specific population and, and kill a lot of them in a public uh, space, uh, I, I think that qualifies as terrorism, uh, whatever the reason may be that you did it. Uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break here. Our number, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. We'll take more of your calls. We'll hear from a Muslim leader, too, after this. Who's going to hear what I'm saying? Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kyone Wolf. Our interns are Esther Shitu and Olivia Piper. Greg Hill tweets for us at WNPR Colin. For audio from this show, news, and other features, go to our website, wnpr.org slash Colin, or join our Colin McEnroe Show Facebook page. On tomorrow's show, some small movies you haven't seen yet. Now, back to Colin. Yeah, hopefully tomorrow. Uh, obviously, this tragedy isn't going away. Uh, our feelings about it aren't going away. Uh, we probably, however, will resume some of the programming that we were planning to do uh, in the first place uh, starting tomorrow. But we also won't let this drop either. Obviously, uh, our entire WNPR team here is committed to, to covering the aftermath of this shooting, just as we did in the case of Newtown and some of these other events. Joining us now is Reza Mansour, uh, president of the Islamic Association of Greater Hartford, also a cardiologist at Hartford Ho- Hospital. Welcome back to our show. Thank you for having me on, Colin. I wish it was under happier circumstances. So, um, first of all, maybe you can just sort of talk. It's I think it's interesting and helpful, maybe for the for outsiders to know how the Muslim American talks to itself, to how you talk to each other at a time like this. I'm sure as word filtered around, either very late on, on well, it would have been very early on Sunday morning. Um, uh, what kinds of things do you say to one another uh, as you begin to anticipate the way in which the dialogue about this is going to unfold? Yeah, I think, uh, firstly, uh, Colin, it's important for us to express that our prayers are for the victims and their families. Uh, the Muslim community is in the month of fasting, one of the most deeply spiritual months where we fast from dawn till dusk. We're not even supposed to say, try to prevent ourselves even from saying evil words. So it's deeply sad to find and uh, to find that a Muslim, uh, you know, however disturbed he was, uh, went to the extent of taking uh, so many lives uh, at, you know, from just pure, from pure hate. I mean, this is a hate crime. It must be described as that. Uh, and uh, the Muslim community feels uh, feels very, you know, very, very sad that somebody would uh, carry out an act like this uh, and to find that it's a Muslim. Whenever there's a terrorist attack, we cringe, uh, hoping that it's not a Muslim who does this, because there are so many stereotypes about Muslims at the moment. Uh, and so we, we uh, try to find a reason uh, to stand up against this hate. So the first thing I got was multiple emails saying, we need to do something. And uh, so the Muslim, uh, the Islamic Association of Greater Hartford, and uh, the president of the Islamic uh, Association of Greater Hartford is having a, a prayer vigil tomorrow at uh, 7 p.m., uh, ending with the breaking of the fast. 
So we uh, we will offer everybody who comes dates and water, which is the traditional uh, food that we have when we break the fast. But we want to express our outrage at uh, at at somebody who takes the lives of so many people uh, and is so misguided uh, to do something like that. So on Sunday, the f- I got a ton of emails saying, "What do we do?" And then we uh, saw down where and uh, other organizations organized the vigil yesterday at the state capitol where we were at. Uh, to stand in solidarity with the LGBT community and the rest of America who are in mourning for the tragic loss of life. Um, one of the things that I think people do want to know a little bit more about is um, uh, how Islam does regard LGBT issues. Uh, obviously, uh, Islam doesn't necessarily always speak with one voice any more than Christianity does. Christianity has about 18 different possible positions uh, on LGBT issues. But But maybe you can talk about, first of all, uh, how how one might in any way interpret uh, Islam and LGBT, and also what kind of dialogues are going on between the two communities right now, too? Yeah, I think Islam's position is, is very, very similar to that of the Judeo-Christian position with the story of Lot, the prophet Lot, and his people. But I think we have to clarify that this, you know, you can have disagreements with respect and dignity. It should never resort to violence against anything else. So, uh, we've had a very, very good relationship with the LGBT community in Connecticut. They've stood up against Islamophobia, the, the hate against the Muslims and the gay community is hate, and we have to call out hate for everything, you know, for what it is, whether it comes from politicians or from uh, media groups or from anything else, hate needs to be called out. You can have a respectful, dignified differences in opinion, and that's, you know, that's what America is all about. You know, we're a melting pot of different faiths, uh, and yes, we'll have disagreements, um, but but I think the, the fundamental issue is that this has to be clarified as hate, and and we have to stand up in solidarity with each other against that kind of st- against that kind of hate. So um, nationally, obviously, the Islamic American community uh, faces um, uh, not exactly a new challenge, but but maybe new emphasis on an old challenge. When you look at a person like this shooter who um, clearly was maybe being self-radicalized, but not in a way that made him uh, particularly visible to a lot of people. I doubt he was going to the Islamic Association of Greater Orlando and and shooting his mouth off uh, about what he thought. On the other hand, obviously, the Muslim American community wants no more repeats of these kinds of incidents. So and there must be a conversation going on. How do you, how do you find people like this who, who aren't necessarily on your radar screen and aren't necessarily a part of any kind of discernible um, uh, public organized activity? You know, and this is the biggest challenge that we have because it's very easy for us to tell our communities that come to the mosques on a regular basis that we need to stand up against the hate, we need to practice our religion as, as faithfully as possible, meaning serving humanity, loving God and serving humanity. I mean, this is the call of all the uh, Judeo-Christian Islamic faiths uh, and all faiths is to, is to you know, serve humanity. And so, as the Muslim Coalition has done, which is, uh, I'm on the board of the Muslim Coalition of Connecticut as well, we join with other faith communities and we serve in shale, shale, uh, soup kitchens on a monthly basis. We build habitat houses together on a regular basis. We walk against hunger on an annual basis. So we do all of this and we take our youth to it to give them a positive sense of American identity and a positive Islamic identity. I think it's extremely important we do that. With the, uh, the loners, it's very difficult to know how to deal with them because there are, there are forces that are telling them, listen, you're either a good American 
or a Muslim. And those, those are forces coming down from uh, the top presidential candidate, Donald Trump, uh, to certain media. If you listen to Fox News, that's the, almost the constant narrative. Um, and it's, and, and you, you, like this particular person who's disturbed, mentally ill, whatever he was, get affected by that. And on the other hand, you have ISIS beckoning them to come to this utopia, this Islamic utopia, which, of course, we understand is not uh, Islamic in any way in all of the other activities, uh, all of the activities that they do. But this is the dichotomy that they are faced with. And unfortunately, some people who are loners give in to that. And so we try to do everything we can do in the Muslim community to attract them, to come to the mosques, to work with us, to to participate fully in American life, especially uh, in the good things that America offers uh, uh, and the good things that Islam encourages us to do, which is which is serving humanity in the best way that we can. Uh, why don't we grab a call here while we have Reza Mansour on the air? I think uh, Eric uh, from Middletown has a question or a comment uh, that he wants to direct. Hi, Eric, you're on the air. Hi, Colin. I want to talk about the, uh, the notion of uh, the expectation that that regular Muslims will push back against this kind of insanity. Um, you know, I'm partly Jewish, slightly Jewish, you might say. If it was the case that worldwide there were bands of Jews doing the sorts of things theoretically in the name of their faith that um, are being done supposedly in in the name of Islam, you know, for me, that would be probably about the worst thing, you know, going on in my life. I would wake up every day and wish that wasn't the case. And um, I would probably feel all kinds of resentment about the, the, the coverage. And, but, but I hope that if that was the case, I would also be able to sort of keep track of the fact that in that horrible reality, it would not be all that unreasonable for people to want to hear from me, maybe even again and again. All right. Uh, I think I'm hearing your point here. Um, And Reza, I I don't know. I mean, I don't want to answer for you, but I feel like I do hear from your community again and again. And I, I, but I also hear from people saying, no, it's not enough. Somehow or other, you have to denounce it even more. I know this is, this is the, the constant battle we have, Colin, because, and Eric, because we do call the media. We do call uh, as much as we can whenever something like this happens. We have it on all our websites. If you go to the Islamic Association of Greater Hartford, the Muslim Coalition of Connecticut, just locally, and if you go nationally, every single organization has condemned in the strongest possible terms what's going on. But you can't boil everything down to religion. This is what, what is important. Yes, ISIS may claim it's religious, but this is a political conflict that began when we invaded Iraq. This was a Sunni reaction to our invasion and the establishment of the Shia government. And then when the Shia government of Bashar al-Assad uh, you know, was collapsing, they spread over into uh, Syria as well. So they became ISIS from al-Qaeda in Iraq. And this is a political conflict between Sunni and Shia. Now, to boil everything down to Islam versus the rest of the world is really simple-minded. It's a very convoluted world out there. 
and there's a lot of political conflicts. The Muslim world is not the stablest place, and that's because of decades of uh, the Ottoman Empire, followed by colonialism, followed by the Sykes-Picot line. It's not as simple as people say, okay, it's Muslims versus the rest of the world. That's not, it's, it's really much more complicated than that. And you have to have a nuanced view of the world to really understand that this, you can't just blame Islamic, you know, the word that Donald Trump likes President Obama to say, radical Islamic terrorism. Well, the reason President Obama doesn't use that is because you attribute to religion these, these crazy things that these terrorists do. And I think I, you know, stand up to President Obama for staying the course and refusing to call it radical Islamic terrorism because it is not Islamic terrorism. These are political groups that are fighting a political war and convoluted by a civil war, convoluted by the superpowers taking sides, the different states in in the Middle East taking sides. And to just blame Islam for this is really simple-minded and is far from the truth. All right, Reza Mansour, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for being part of this conversation at a difficult time. All right, so oh, we're wrapping things up here, but I do want to say, I mean, I wish there's a bunch of calls on the board, and so Angie, Fred, John, Peter, I'm really sorry we didn't get to you. I wanted to take more calls, and everything just kind of ran uh, long. Uh, I, I think it is important for us to do this as often as we can because I know that you've got a lot to say. I will say very quickly, we have a fairly new Facebook page, The Colin McEnroe Show. We'd love to see some of your comments go up there. Uh, we also uh, welcome emails at Colin, Colin at WNPR.org. You can tweet at us at, at WNPR, Colin. Uh, there's lots of ways to communicate with us, and we'd like you to do that in all ways. But anyway, if you're upset because we didn't get to you, I don't blame you. Uh, I wish we'd had more time uh, to talk to all of you about your ideas. Feel free to email me. I'd be happy to have a conversation with you that way. Or as I say, go to our, our new Facebook page, Colin McEnroe Show. Uh, click like, uh, and you can be part of a conversation there. When nothing else matters. just don't know what's got into me It's just a prayer for the dying 